0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. So glad that you guys are here. I'm excited. Man, what a morning of worship. Praise God. Praise God. I don't know, we have an amazing team of volunteers that serve and usher and are in the ABL booth. And um, right before, as you guys were coming in, we were running out of seats like less than five minutes after 10 o'clock. And so it was like one thing after another, where we we were like, okay, let's dismiss the kids here. And then it was like, let's dismiss the kids a little earlier. Um, Praise God, this is what God is doing. He's creating a people within his community for his name and his glory, not the name of FMCC the name of God Almighty, and it's our desire that we would be a people that are all in. That's what we're talking about this morning. What does it look like to be all in? I mean, that's, that's a phrase that we talk about in culture, and that's a phrase we talk about different things. Like It's a poker term. I don't know if you're poker players, uh, but this is, you know, church, so I don't know if you're supposed to admit that. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's when you take everything you have and you put it on the table. It means, it means you hold nothing back. And, and there's certain things in our culture and our environment, some ways we go all in, and I, I think of marriage. That is something that, that God has designed for us to go all in. We use these phrases in wedding ceremonies. Some of you are going to be saying this in less than a week, that for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, I mean that sounds all in. I mean when you when you have a kid, like that's something like you're going all in on that. Like just so you know if you're like pregnant, you're having your first baby, there's no returns, there's no backseas, like you you can't exchange them, like you're stuck with them for the rest of your life too. That doesn't last for 18 years. I mean they're they're coming back. Right? Parents, snowbirds, they're coming back. I love Mark Cook and the ministry that God has given them with, with extreme sports. I love watching videos of extreme sports, skateboarding and skiing and snowboarding. Uh, I love watching people skydiving mean, because they go all in. Like the, the professionals, the people that get to, the, like, I mean, they're, they're jumping off things that nobody should ever jump out of or off of, right? They come out of a helicopter onto a slope or something. Have you ever heard of something called urban Uh, climbing. Urban climbing is this thing—the video's going to play behind me—it's where where people without harnesses, without ropes, decide to climb the sides of buildings. Like literally, they're holding on to whatever they can hold on to. You get halfway up, there's no turning back. Like, you have to make the decision that I'm going to finish. Like, you are climbing up this building all in. And as Christians, as people called by God to come out of darkness and enter into His marvelous light, we are a people that are called to go all in. And so this morning, we're going to look at Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians. Paul is an apostle. Paul is someone that was chosen by God to go proclaim his good news. And he's writing letters to different churches. Some of these letters, these letters have encouragement in them. They have prayers in them. They have uh, different challenges in them. And often Paul will write things about his own testimony, his own life, not to bring glory to Paul's name, but to show that God Almighty can transform anyone. Amen. That, that Paul, even though he was kind of elite in his field, he was a sinner. He was a murderer and he was an enemy of God. And God transformed his life. And so every opportunity Paul had, he pointed people back to the saving power of Jesus and invited everyone to go all in. Because there is no half in. You either believe who Jesus is and what he's done, or you don't. You live it, or you don't. You trust God, or you don't. And so in this series, Unshaken, we've been walking through Scripture and seeing testimonies of people and talking about people who who are unshaken in adversity. And so we have people like David, who faces the giant, walks in to that unshaken. Joshua, who is going to lead the people of God into the promised land, and he is scared and he's fearing, and God says, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Esther having to go before the king, knowing that she could be killed just for approaching the throne, but God gives her favor in his eyes, and she saves the people of Israel. Ruth being bold in her loyalty and unshaken in her loyalty, and then Paul being unshaken in his willingness to go and do whatever it takes for the gospel. Why? Because they were living a life that was all in, knowing and trusting that life was about Jesus and Jesus alone. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump in to 1 Thessalonians 2. Let's pray. Father, there's not a lot in life that we often commit to in a way that is all in. But if We're here this morning and we hear nothing else. I pray that we would know and understand that we only have the chance to go all in because you went all in for us. That you left eternity. You were born in a stable, lived a life that we never could live, a life of perfection and died a horrible death on a cross so that we may have life in you, in your resurrection. <clears throat> and so, Lord, I pray as we jump into this that we would remember that in our own power we can't go all in, but through the power of your Holy Spirit and the beauty of your good news, the gospel, that we have the ability to surrender all to you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So to understand the call to be all in, we must know what we believe and fall in love with it. Let's start in verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that in our coming to you, uh, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We had boldness in our gospel to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Knowledge and intellect are different than the emotion of love, both of those are necessary, and so look at my marriage. I can know everything about her, and then there 's also like people like Lewis that I have in my life that, that I know a lot about too, so I can know lauren 's favorite ice cream, but I also can know lewis 's favorite ice cream. ice cream. I can know uh, the things that she 's passionate about. I can know the things that Lewis is passionate about, but there 's a different emotion sorry to say Louis, but a very different emotion that I have for my bride than I do for Louis. Why? Because I have fallen in love with her. I have given her all of me. Like that marriage relationship, that love has formed out of what I have learned and know about her. My knowledge has penetrated my heart and it stirred affections in me. Uh, One of my mentors always said this quote. I don't exactly know where he got it from, but he'd always say that the longest journey you will ever take in your entire life is 18 inches from your head to your heart. And that's what it is because I think we grow up in church or we hear about the good news of Jesus or we, um, we hear about religion and it becomes a source of knowledge for us. That We live in an in information world. We like to learn and know information, and so we fill our minds with information, but it never moves from here to here. We don't fall in love with it. If, if I just knew everything there was to know about Lauren, but that information never penetrated my heart and never stirred affections in me, then we wouldn't have a great marriage. And so we need to know what we believe, but we also must fall in love with it. I mean, Paul, Silas, Timothy, I mean, they were willing to take it on the chin for their faith and their belief and their love for God. Look at verse two. This is what they say. We suffered and we were shamefully treated at Philippi, but we had boldness in our God to share the gospel. So what is, what is he talking about? Because he says, as you know. Well, do we know the story that he's talking about? As you know, we were treated shamefully in Philippi. If you go all the way back to Acts 16, Paul and Silas are traveling around a community in Philippi, and they're doing miracles, right? Jesus is already resurrected, and and they're, they're doing miracles, they're healing people, and as they're doing that, a little girl starts following them. This little girl is possessed by a demon, and she can tell the future with this demon that she has been possessed by. There were people that were making money off of this little girl because of the, the, the possession that she has. So she starts following around Paul and Silas everywhere they were going, like my five-year-old does during the day, you know, when you're at home and like, they're right by you, and everywhere you turn, they're just there, um, attached to your hip moms. Can you relate to that, right, hanging on you? like That's how she was, and this is what she's saying. She's going. These men are servants of the most high God who will proclaim to you the way of salvation. Doesn't sound terrible, but she's doing that over and over and over again. So out of annoyance, parents, out of annoyance, he removes the demon from her. He goes, demon, be gone. And she's healed. And that stirs up all sorts of thing in that community because they were making money off of her. And so they get mad, they strip Paul and Silas, they beat them, and they imprison them unjustly because of what they did. So they were treated shamefully for what they were doing for the Lord. I mean, that's pretty crazy. I don't know about you, but when I read that story and I hear what Paul is saying here, are we willing to get beaten and thrown in prison for what we know about Jesus, for the things that we're doing for Jesus. We in America might have little bits of persecution that we experience with, with, our, uh, with the world around us, but we don't experience this kind of persecution, the persecution that a lot of the church, our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing in other countries. That they are risking their lives just to show up at a place, mostly houses and back alleys, to get a glimpse of the Word of God, knowing full well that if they are found, they will be beaten and put in prison. Are we willing to go through that? I mean, look at COVID. COVID effectively removed a large fraction of the church family across America, because people were afraid of sickness more than they wanted to pursue God. Now, that's not the only reason, that's not a political statement. I'm just saying that for some, they would rather have stayed home than than hear the word of God and see the word of God and read the word of God, because even in staying home, they weren't tuning in online, on church online, and they weren't picking up their Bibles, and they weren't praying. They just left their faith completely. Are we as a church, as a people, willing to sacrifice it all? And this is why I constantly challenge us to dive deep in the word of God in prayer because you better know what you believe. Because if you don't know what you believe and it has not penetrated your heart, then the slightest little bit of persecution that comes, you will walk away not wanting anything to do with God and his purposes and his will for your life. This is more than information. What you know about God must transform your heart and your life. So if we know what we believe and we've fallen in love with Jesus, then we have a calling on our lives. Why? Because the next thing we see is that we are entrusted with the gospel. Look again at verse four. He says, for we know brothers loved by, I'm sorry, Verse, chapter 2, verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God, that's our identity. God has approved us through Jesus for the work that Jesus did on the cross to be entrusted with the gospel. We speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So, what is this phrase, the word gospel? The word gospel, the literal translation is good news. News is meant to be shared. You, believers, are entrusted to share good news about Jesus. Well, what is this good news? Well, Paul just explained that. We talked about it a few weeks ago in uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This is what he says You turned from God to serve, uh, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The gospel is is that you were worshiping yourself, you were worshiping the world, you were worshiping your stuff, and then you turned from those things and you started worshiping the one true God, surrendering your life to the one true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, who he has raised from the dead, that's part of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus, who has delivered us from the wrath to come. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were still sinners, in our shame, in our brokenness, in our mess-ups, Christ died for us. If you're sitting here today and you grew up in um, religion or faith, we talk often in church about the cross, the cross of Jesus, agreed? We know what the cross is because we like to wear them around our necks. We like to put them on walls. That's um, a sign of blessing. But, but often we forget that we as a church, as a people, as Christians, we don't stop at the cross. The cross was a symbol of, of murder. It was a punishment for guilty parties. Jesus wasn't the only person in that day to die a horrific death on a cross. Anybody who was a thief, anybody who committed a crime, often the Romans would put them on a cross. So, we as our faith, we don't stop at the cross. Jesus is the only one we believe that died on a cross, that was murdered on a cross, that was buried, and then three days later rose again. So, we sit here celebrating not only the fact that Jesus died, but the fact that he is now alive. Like, we don't worship a dead God. We don't worship a statue that's not living. We worship a living God who is breathing, who exists on a throne at this very moment being worshiped day and night by angels, and we get to participate in that. So when we come here to sing, we're participating with the angels. We're participating with heaven, worshiping the risen King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's not something that you can celebrate and clap about, I don't know what is. That's why we are here. Thank you. You guys just made some of the Baptists very uncomfortable, but you're allowed to talk and clap in church. (laughs) This is good news. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. This wasn't something that just happened out of nowhere. This was prophesied about hundreds of years earlier. He was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He then appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And that's what a lot of our Bible comes from. But look at this in verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Listen to me. This isn't a hoax. This wasn't something that a couple of guys got together in a room and said, hey, I know it would be a good idea. Like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, we're going to steal Jesus' body and then say, he rose again. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And what do we get for this? (laughs) We're going to get killed. (laughs) 500 people. Like, if you're creating a ruse, like, you're not going to create that ruse while the people are all still living. They could fact check this very easily. Hey, did you, did you see him? Yeah, you saw him? Yeah, you saw, yeah, you saw, the, you saw the holes, you saw the, the holes? Yeah, yeah, we saw him. We, 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 we ate dinner with him. We hung out with him. Thomas, yeah, yeah, I, I, I touched the hole. Like, they saw him. And so the church started spreading like wildfire because they saw it with their own eyes. They experienced him. And we are entrusted with that good news. The idea of entrusted is to be persuaded, to affirm, to have confidence in. I love the idea of being entrusted with something. Um, It's kinda like this, I I was thinking about this this week. Say you're on a train in New York City and all of a sudden you look up and Elon Musk is sitting across from you. Why Elon Musk? Because he's crazy enough to ride the train and just sit there and do something like this. So, he's sitting there and he has two duffel bags, both filled with one million dollars, okay? He hands them both to you and he says, here's a million dollars, this one's for you. Here's another million dollars. They're bundled in $10,000 stacks and by the time this train ends, you're allowed to go give it out to whoever you want. You can't keep any of it, but you can just give it out to whoever you see, anybody you want. Um, Go ahead, go. What are you gonna do? I mean, you already have the million. It's already yours. You don't have to earn it. Like, it's yours, you you can do whatever you want, but I've given you now this $10,000, or a million dollars to give out in $10,000 increments to anybody you want. Are you gonna run around the train and give it to people? Right? Are you, are you, I mean, hopefully the people that are traveling the train with you, you'd give it to them, right? But then what about everybody else? Is anybody scared if you've traveled on trains before to go through the doors to the next car ride? It's a little scary sometimes. Like it depends on what kind of train it is, but like, it's, it's not fun. Are you willing to cross that threshold? If you have the ability to bless people, I mean, $10,000 could change somebody's life. What are you going to do? Because you've been entrusted with something, to give out to people freely, not to earn something, but because God has blessed you with something that is beautiful. And I know it's a silly analogy, but we've been entrusted with life, eternal life. We didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, but God gave it to us freely. And he says, guess what? You can go give that to whoever you want. Go and share this good news. And often, we just sit with our stuff and go, I'm good, I'm comfortable. I mean, I I don't want to lose my seat if I get up. Why? When we've been given life, we've been entrusted with life. I love what William Carey, a Bible translator and pastor says, it is the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to endeavor, that word means to work, to toil, to make it known among all nations. And this entrusting should, should bring us joy, not lethargic obligation and indifference, because you're not earning this favor, right? Verse 4, what does it say? You have been approved by God. You've already been approved by God because of what Jesus did on the cross, And so I love what Charles Spurgeon says, there is no reason exists why the preaching of the gospel should be a miserable operation either to the speaker or to the hearer. We should go out in joy into our community to share with every man, woman, and child the good news of Jesus. And so then Paul goes into these five ways to live out the gospel. Now, now I want to be clear here. These are not necessarily imperatives. He's not saying to the church, this is what you need to do, must do, have to do. But what he's doing is Paul is living a life that is in the gospel, saturated with the gospel. And he's encouraging the church to live all in through his own testimony. He's sharing, this is what God has done in me. And by sharing that with us, I mean, that's, that's super attractive to me. When, when somebody is talking about how God is transforming their life, as God is changing their marriage, as God is transforming how they work, and, and, it like, and they're sharing that story with me, I'm like, man, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to I grow in my relationship with the Lord. They're talking about God in such a way that is, I want that. And that's what Paul's doing here. And so let's look at this. Let's look at uh, starting in verse 4, and let's go through uh, verse 8. just as we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came to please man, but, to, um, but we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demand, demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Through his own testimony, through what God is doing in his heart and in his life, he's encouraging us, the church. Here's five ways he's encouraging us. One, do not please man, but please God. Listen, I struggle with this. This is something my wife and I talk about often that, that we, we deal with in our lives because we want to please those around us. And often that overshadows what God is calling us to do. And we can't live that way, being people pleasers versus God glorifies us. The world is going to press us. And if the number one goal is to please the people around us, I promise you, you will fail and it will hurt and destroy those around you and yourself when your number one purpose is to please the people that are around you. I don't know why that is, but we're all sinners and we often get taken advantage of us. And so if we're continuing trying to please people and we find our identity in how we please people, we're gonna crumble, they're gonna crumble, and it's not gonna be pretty. So he says, do not please man but God. And then in verse five, what he says, he says, do not flatter. And this flattery is not just a, hey, you look very pretty today, nice earrings. This is actually with a pretext for greed, he says. This is manipulation. It's manipulating somebody to get something that you want. So it's like, man, I love those earrings, I wish I had those earrings, hint, hint. Right, there's a different reason behind that flattery. It's a pretext for greed, it's to get something. It's doing a favor for somebody in hopes that they now owe you one so you can call in that favor later. This is manipulation, self-seeking. Paul's sitting here going, God, the Spirit of God transformed us in such a way where, where we're not gonna just try to flatter you so that we can get something out of it. We are gonna tell you the truth and we are gonna love you the way God loves us unconditionally. And then he says, do not seek your own glory in verse six. This idea is, what do I get versus How do I glorify God? It's a very different way to live your life, going, what do I get out of this, versus how can what I'm doing glorify His name and His glory? I mean, this is a game changer in our marriages. This is a game changer in our parenting, in our work, in our family relationships. I mean, youth, I know that a lot of our youth, uh, they play sports. And, and in your sports, like imagine if you existed on your sports team not to be the most popular player, but you existed to serve your teammates. You existed to come alongside the people around you and serve them to the best of your abilities. It's a different thing. At work, you didn't just just try to do everything you possibly can to get the promotion, but you lived a life serving everybody on your team even if you fail to get the credit. It's a hard way to live because we often seek our own glory versus making the name of God great. And then he says in verse seven, be gentle. We came to you just like a mother would nurse his, her child. It's, it's this sharing of good news. And when we share it, it, it takes time. Often I think we, we try to um, just go in and, and, and if, we're, if we feel like the Spirit convicting us to share the gospel with somebody, we, we try to just get in and get out. It's just it's like quick, like, let's go share it and get out of there and hopefully, you know, don't even see what their response is. But, but it actually takes building a relationship. Building a relationship with someone and being gentle in our approach. We can't come to them and, and just slam it down and hit them over the head with the Bible and tell them, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. No, it takes this relational bridge. And he goes into saying more of that in verse 8, where he says, Not only are we sharing Jesus, but we're sharing ourselves. It's more than just information, it's transformation. It's this personal impact that is overflowing out of our lives through the relationship that we have built with those around us. I love the the phrase, the, the quote that Louis Giglio has said very often. And he talks about building relational bridges strong enough to bear the weight of truth? Would we be a people that would build these bridges with people, relationships that are strong enough to bear the weight of truth? What is the truth? That God loves them and wants a relationship with them. And if they don't surrender, that eternity is in the balance, right? Because it's not all just cupcakes and rainbows. There is gonna be a day where some who have not surrendered to Jesus will spend eternity apart from Him, and some will enter into His marvelous light. And where that hinges is faith and trust in the person of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, he says, to, to please man, uh, don't please man, but please God. Do not flatter, do not seek your own glory. Be gentle, share Jesus and ourselves. I'm gonna invite Christian to come back on up. One of my hopes is that today, something would stir inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would want to know and learn more about Jesus. Like this is important for, for us in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds to, to know who he is. Don't just come on a Sunday morning, sit here, and then leave and go throughout the week and, and, and just forget about God. And then come back in and kind of get a, a shot of adrenaline and then leave for the week. God has invited you into a personal, intimate, interactive relationship with him and he has given us his word in print. After in the, 19, uh, or in the 1500s is when this started coming into print, and now we can hold this in our hands. We can go buy it. We have these in the room that you can take with you. If you don't have a Bible, there would be no greater joy than to give you a Bible on your way out. See Carolyn, see one of the people in the back, see David. I mean, they would love to put one of these in your hands so you can read it for yourself, so you can see God's word to you. If you don't know where to begin, start in the book of John. The book of John is a beautiful story of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And then from there, I'd encourage you to go back to Genesis, start in the beginning, and read about the power and the glory and the majesty of God our Father. Understand how you have been entrusted with the gospel and live all in, because there's no halfway. I think often as believers, we try to straddle the line. I think often we kind of live like one foot in and one foot out. And I just want you to know that living one foot in, one foot out is going to hurt you. And it's going to hurt those around you. Uh, We recently went on a trip and we're going through the airport. And I didn't know that my five-year-old Maya has a fear of escalators. It wasn't something that's ever happened before. And I'm carrying two bags and I'm rolling our roll carry-on and I'm holding Maya's hand. And as I'm going to step on, I step on. And then she stops. She just halts. And she goes, no. And she pulls away. Now, my one foot was going down. I have the bags. And I'm trying to grab my daughter because there's a bunch of people behind her and trying to get on the escalator. And I, I had to commit. And I jumped on the elevator uh, escalator. And so I'm going down this escalator. And she's sitting at the top like crying because I, like one foot in, one foot out is going to hurt me. And it's going to hurt everyone around me. It's one of the reasons why the greatest cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who profess Jesus with their mouths but then deny him by their lifestyles. Church, God has invited us, has called us to be all in for his name and for his glory. And his promise is not that we get health, wealth, and happiness. His promise is that we get him. We get him. And if you don't want him, then you don't want eternity because eternity is all gonna be us focused and fixed on him and worshiping him day and night because in eternity we get him. We're not gonna be focused on the stuff of heaven. We're gonna be focused on the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We're not gonna be looking at the streets which is be, is paved with, with gold. Gold is gonna be the same value as asphalt is to us. We're not gonna be walking around being like, oh, look at those gold streets. No, we're gonna be fixed on the king of kings. So we get to start that all in peace now through the grace of God, through the beauty of God. And so if you would, close your eyes. I wanna read this verse over us. This is Romans eight, five through eight. And this is Paul's counsel to us to live all in, to not go in halfway. He says, for those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the minds on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So as those who are approved by God through Jesus, entrusted with his good news... Let us be a people who live all in. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we don't leave here burdened with this idea that we now have to figure it out. God, you have figured it out because you have already died and rose again. And all we have to do is leave this place and trust and believe and fall more in love with you. And as we do that, it overflows out of our life into the world around us. And we get to share your good news and we get to talk to people about the only hope that they will ever have, the only peace that they can ever experience, the only joy in this world. And that's in a relationship with you. So if anybody is here today who has not trusted in you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you would do only what you can do And begin the process of stirring something in their heart to want to know you more and to surrender their lives to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, if there's anybody here today who is struggling with addiction, with pain, with brokenness, with hurt, if there is um, broken relationships that they're dealing with, God, I pray that you would meet them now in this time. That you would... Give them a peace that transcends their understanding so that they may know that you are with them, that you are near, that you are present. God, we love you. We trust you. We need you. We lift this up in your name, name of Jesus. Amen. If you're here today, and you don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus, I would love to talk to you. We have a team in the back. Uh, I know sometimes coming forward to the front can be intimidating, so you can just act like you're going to the bathroom and start walking out, um, and just find someone with a lanyard. There's Logan, there's Ethan, there's Steve, uh, Greg's back there. Um, Just find somebody. They would love to share with you what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We love you guys. Have a great week.